verses, uh, almost the, the third verse, the finished finish third verse. But anyway, today I want to go to chapter 2. But before we go to chapter 2, uh, back in verse 3, we were looking at, he upholds all things by the word of his power, or as the Amplified says, that Jesus Christ guides, and this is hard to, to conceive and, and, and understand, but we don't really need to. We just need to believe it. He, he guides and propels the universe by the mighty word of his power. And there is this word here that he is the brightness, who being in the brightness of his glory. The brightness there, that word in the Greek, has, has a dual meaning, meaning that he is the reflection and he's also the source so that Jesus Christ, we use his name, and, and we know him to some degree. Many times we don't really see him as he truly is, the reality of how he is today because with his glory and his splendor and his brightness, because we are so uh, natural. We, we, we relate and see things in the natural and it takes a work of the Spirit of God in our life for us to be able to penetrate past the, the natural things that we are involved with in this earth. It takes a work of the Spirit of God to penetrate our hearts so that we can see beyond that, to see Him who died for us and Him who has the words of life and Him who is the express image and the glory of the Father. Now, in verse 3, the latter part of verse 3, and remember last semester we dealt with Leviticus. And uh, as we go on in Hebrews, I'm going to point some things out that directly relate back to, to the book of Leviticus. But you get a hint of that in the latter part of verse 3 when the writer says this, that when he, meaning Jesus, had himself purged our sins... That word purge there is referring to um, that which Jesus did, the washing, the cleansing. And, and the word purged is interpreted or translated in the Old Testament as a tone. So you can see that the, the writer here has this Hebrew background and he's writing to the Jews who have come to Christ. And he's going to instruct them and uh, this person, I believe, was <clears throat> quite acquainted with the Levitical law, and we'll see that later on when we get into some of the chapters in the middle of the book. But in verse 5, it says this, this is chapter 1, For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Now, there are 
people, there are cults who believe that Jesus Christ was a created being. But the word here, begotten, is not referring to Jesus as being created, but rather it's referring to the resurrection, the first begotten from the dead. And you can see that by turning to Acts. Look at Acts real quick. Acts 13. Verse 3, uh, verse 33, excuse me. And we declare unto you glad tidings. Wait a second here. Okay, I was on 32. God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he, he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten me. So in, in this verse here, Acts 30, uh, 13, 33, the, the, the writer here, Luke, is equating this phrase begotten with the Father raising Jesus Christ. So, so when you see that word, uh, and I don't know if that's the case in every scripture, but in, in many of the scriptures in the New Testament, when it says begotten, it's talking about the resurrection, not that he was a created being. But anyway, um, in verse 1, we started with that last week, where the writer says that God spoke to our fathers, meaning the prophet, not the prophets, but the Israelites, through the prophets, he says. Verse 1. Verse 2 and 3, it says that now in this day hath he spoken unto us through Jesus Christ. Now, we know, we know that. But the interesting thing I find in this chapter is from verse 4 all the way through verse 14 that the writer compares Jesus to angels. Now, why compare the angels to Jesus. I, I, I thought that was rather odd that he spends all this, this time here in the first chapter and bits of the second chapter also, he refers back to the same thing, comparing how much better Jesus was than the angels. And that's because I believe that the Jews had this high opinion of angels because of the ministry throughout the Old Testament uh, to different people, God used angels, and they viewed that as the angels being a type of mediator between, between God and them. And so there were those who, who really got into this angel thing, as there are today, and they, they gave the angels a place that God never really intended and so the writer has to, to, to bring this out. Now, of course, uh, the Jewish teachers didn't teach worshiping angels, but I'm sure there were those that were out there in, at that time, and this must have been a strong thing, or he wouldn't have addressed this, that they, they had this, if you will, ungodly idea of what angels were and the purpose of them. And so he deals with that from verse 4 through 14. Now, it's interesting, the word angel is used over 100 times in the Old Testament. So you can, you can 
understand why they may, may place more of an uh, emphasis on angels than they should have. But he's going to draw this parallel and say, okay, the law was given or, or the, the, was testified, and we'll, we'll see that in chapter 2, and witnessed by the angels. But now we have something better, and that is a better covenant, a better testament, ministered through the apostles, those that through Christ, and those the apostles and disciples that heard him. So the Jews, their idea of uh, the angel, that whole thing wasn't what it should have been. Verse 7, so he goes on here and he says, And of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits. Now, that's an interesting word because in some translations, uh, and if you look the word spirits up here, it's, it says winds. That's the translation for that. Um, and I'll, I'll explain that in a second. This is the Amplified. It says, referring uh, to the angels, he says, God, who makes his angels winds and his ministering servants, still speaking of the angels, a flaming fire. And so he's comparing the angels as winds, and, and we know that God directs the wind on earth. He, he, he directs the wind. It goes where he wants. You know, it comes and goes, etc., more or less at his command. And he's comparing the angels to that, that the angels also would come and go and do this and do that at God's command. Not that they were greater than the Son of God, not that they were greater than Christ, but they were servants as the wind is, is a servant of His. Now, Colossians 2.18 says this. Now, this is not the only place in the New Testament where they had to deal with this, this topic. In Colossians 2.18, it says, Let no one cheat you of your reward. Now, now, it's Paul speaking to the Christian churches. Taking to light in false humility and the worship of angels. And the NIV says, And the worship of angels disqualifies you for the prize. So, obviously, there were some things going on back there at the very beginning that were not correct, and, and the writer here has to address that issue as well, the, well as the Apostle Paul does. Verse 14 of chapter 1 here. Are they not all ministering spirits, speaking of the angels, sent forth to minister for them who shall be the heirs of salvation? It says in the Amplified, Are not the angels all ministering servants sent out in the service of God for the assistance of those who are to inherit salvation. So God sends them out for purpose, and whenever the need arises for whatever, you know, ever the, according to the will of God, he can use an angel to help an individual who is the heir of salvation, meaning, meaning a believer, a Christian. Now, I don't understand that. I don't want to get tied up in that, but that's what it says there. Verse 8, But unto the Son he saith, now, this is very interesting. I don't know how many of you have, have dealt with talking to other people from other religions. But, you know, certain things in the Bible come by revelation. I mean, you don't have to understand 
every single verse in the Bible. What you do is you need to have a, a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now that is the basis or the foundation for the Lord to bring His Word and the revelation of that Word, the understanding of that, to you. Some of the things that um, the New Testament writers quote from the Old Testament, if you wouldn't have known what they were talking about, and you would just go back and read the Old Testament scripture, you may not understand. But they had a revelation of, of a lot of these verses, especially in Psalms. And so it says here in verse 8, But unto the Son, meaning Jesus, he, he saith, meaning the Father, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. So the Father is saying to Jesus, Thy throne, O God. Now, that's a quote from Psalm 45. So let's just look there for a minute. Now, as I said, I want to go to chapter 2, but I just want to just tie a few, few things up here in chapter 1 that, that we don't normally even discuss or, or teach. Psalm 45, uh, verse 6 and 7. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy, of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore, God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. See, that's speaking of Christ. So the Father is calling Jesus God, or he's calling him deity. He's calling him and saying to him, you are equal, equal uh, to, to me in the Godhead. Now in verse, go back to Hebrews, because um, the latter part of verse 7 is what we see here in verse 9. The oil of gladness, he has anointed thee with the oil of gladness, or as, as I believe this is, this is talking about, the oil, if you will, of exaltation. See, Jesus was exalted through what he had to go through. And you see that in, in the verse that we read prior to this, you know, where he sat down at the right hand of the Father. See, that, that is an exalted position that Jesus uh, came up to. Now, let's go to chapter 2. This is really where I wanted to... To start today, he starts off with this word, therefore, in, in verse 1. So right away, when you see the word, therefore, or because of, you know he's talking about something that he talked about prior to that. He's saying, therefore, because that the prophet spoke to our fathers, and because now we, we have Jesus Christ who speaks the word, who speaks to us, who is the ministry of the Father to us, the expression of the Father. Because of those things, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Now, I'll read that from the Amplified because I really like the way the Amplified says this. Since all this is true, and what he did now, he's starting off building, as you must do when you teach. You must build upon 
something. You start with the foundation, in, in, even in a book. You start with a foundation, and you start to build upon that. This is exactly what the Hebrew writer is doing here. He laid the foundation so that the attention now is on Jesus Christ. Now he's going to bring other things in and, and talk about these different things. Since all this is true, we as Christians ought to pay much closer attention than ever to the truths that we have heard. Are we as Christians paying attention to or taking heed to the different truths given by the Spirit of God to us? And as the, as the King James says, lest we should let them slip. Uh, and I like the Amplified. It says, lest in any way we drift past them and slip away. Now, how many of you have ever been on a lake with a boat, any kind of boat? How about at a dock? Now, I used to boat on the river. I used to have a canoe. I used to go up to the lakes. And it's very, very odd. This, this should tell you something. I'm going to, to show you something in natural and teach you something in spirit. You take the boat. You tie it to the dock. Now, you can go to a pond, a lake, I don't care where it is, and the water can be completely still. I mean, you look at that, there's not one little ripple that you throw a rock. Nothing. There you go, you tie your boat to the dock. Now, if you were to unloose the boat and sit down there at the dock and just let that boat sit there, you are going to find out that within five minutes, it's not going to take very long, sometimes in, in, in a matter of two or three minutes, that boat has already moved five, ten, fifteen feet from the dock. And in some cases, it's moved down 50, 60, 80 feet in a matter of a few minutes, five minutes, on a lake that seemed completely calm. The picture here is this, that we have these truths, we have Jesus Christ, who we are to tie our life to, but if we loose the cord between us and Him, between the way, the truth, and the life. Even though things seem to be very calm and there seems to be no movement, there really is because you do not see the undercurrent that's moving. There are undercurrents in this life that are not apparent to most people. If you are a believer in Christ, which you are, there still are undercurrents many times that you do not see and you need the revelation of the Spirit of God to see those undercurrents and to see how they will cause you to drift away or slip away in a matter of a short period of time. 
so that if my rope is loose, it doesn't matter how long I've been a Christian, it doesn't matter how much I have taught the Word of God, it doesn't matter how much I have seen or do see, if my rope is loose from the truth of God, or I am not tied into Christ, then I will drift. And this seems to be a place where many, many, many Christians are today. Where they're so caught up in their life, what they need to do, their job. Now, of course, we, we, we know we need to work. There's certain things we have to do. But I'm talking about they're just caught up with everything but Jesus. And their life now becomes tied to something else. And before you know it, they, are, they have drifted far away from the dock of salvation, where they're supposed to be. And, and they may go to church. They may read the Bible. But yet, in the reality of the Spirit, they have not been tied where they need to be tied. And the expression now from their life is not the will of God. It becomes their own will. Now, I like how the, the marginal reading here of this verse reads. Now, I'll read the whole verse, and in the latter part of the verse, I'm going to insert the marginal reading. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should run out, or that they should run out as leaking vessels, or we should run out as leaking vessels. In other words... Um, let me see here. Here's an example. Let's say you have a pool. And the pool you have is, let's say, 8 or 10 feet. And you're going to fill this pool up, say. But toward the bottom of the pool, maybe, you know, a foot from the bottom of the pool, there's a large hole. So now you're putting all this water in. And you can put two or three hoses all pumping water into this pool and still have it running out almost as fast as it's going in. And so now the Christian, who, so to speak, has a hole in their liner, God's trying to pour into them, but it's all leaking out. And now there is, there is there's no development. There can never, never be a depth because of the leakage. They'll always be in the shallows. So that we would give them more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. So that... We are not like that, where there is a hole in the vessel. And the, the illustration is, I didn't look at this, but it's probably like a wineskin was very popular back then. And if you have a hole in that, you know, what's in there leaks right out. The danger always exists for the Christian to drift away from the things that we have learned. And I'm not talking about 
what we have learned and studied. I'm talking about what we have learned in spirit, the principles that we have learned. The way in which we know that we should live our life. The way in which we are to, to walk with him, walking in the will of God. See, that that, that the things we have heard spiritually. Because, you know, how many messages have we all heard? I can't count the number of messages that I've heard in the many years I've, I've been a Christian. And you can't retain it all. What we retain of a message that, that, that comes out from the, the scriptures is very limited, I think. Sometimes you leave church and, and you know, you could be barely out the door and somebody said, what was the message about? And you're there. Um, has that ever happened to you? It's like, wait a second. I know it. Um, and it's like, you don't know what it was about. See, so, so we're not going to retain that. Some of it we will. But overall, we're not going to retain that. But what comes of the word of God into our heart, mixed with faith, that which does a work in you, that which causes a change in your heart. See, those are the things he's talking about, the, the things that we have heard, spiritually speaking. Give the more earnest heed to those things. Apply yourself or adhere to Jesus, would be another way to say that. Lest at any time we should let them slip. Now, I looked at word, that word, well, actually that phrase, let them slip. It means to flow past. Um, it means to gradually give up one's belief in the truth to drift away. Now, you know there are those who have drifted away. It's a sad thing to see someone who has had uh, a, a soft heart and has been opened to the Lord. Oh, Lord, come and minister. Lord, I want to, to praise you and worship you. I want to draw near to you. Someone who has, has walked with God for, for some time. To see them drift away is very sad. And you can stand there, so to speak, on the dock with a rope, and you can throw the rope to them. And many times we have done that to certain individuals. You're there, you know, the pastor. He's counseling someone. He's throwing the rope from the dock. Now, here's the person. Okay, oh, I believe you're the pastor. I believe you have something from God. Well, if you believe it, grab the rope. God gifts certain people with the ability to see. In Corinthians, it talks about discerning of spirits. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean just discerning of evil spirits, although that's true. 
but the thought of discerning of spirits means discerning of spirits. See, you are a spirit soul, and you live in a body. And there, there are to be those in the church who God raises up that, it, that are able at times, when the need arises, to discern spirits so that there you are, you're up here. We pray for you. Well, hopefully, God would help someone to discern what's going on. Now, that doesn't always take place, but a lot of times it does. Oh, Lord, use him when he goes down to uh, Peru to preach. I haven't talked to you yet. I imagine he did. So, so that it's a sad thing when the line is thrown out to people and because of their own thinking where they are, what they're involved in, how they're viewing it. They say, well, that's not, that, I, I don't need that. I know what's going on. And they go along on their own way. And before you know it, you go like this and say, where did that person go? Where, where did they go? Well, they're out there somewhere. Lord knows, but they have drifted. How easy is it to drift? Very easy, very easy. Why would one drift away? The allure of the world is one one reason. Being overcome by strong desires, well, you know, hey, This is what I wanted for my life. This is always what I wanted. Well, now I see where I am. I'm getting older. I want this. I want that. There isn't a person probably here that hasn't had some desire for for something or someone that was very strong. Our desires, if we act upon them and they're not the desire of God, can cause us to drift. It's like taking the rope off, slipping it off of the, the dock. A person can choose to, to stay in their sin. That will cause them to start to drift a little. If God can't deal with that. Being worn down. Have you ever gotten worn down? Well, you know what? We have, all of us, physically, in this life, because of the things that we have to do when we work and so on, we will be worn down physically. That's why we have to rest and go to sleep at night. But see, many times we become worn down in our walk, spiritually. And it says in Isaiah, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. That word means exchange. So that if I'm starting to get wore down as a Christian, I need to wait upon the Lord and exchange my lack of strength for his ability, his strength. See, it's from him. We can allow ourselves to be wore down and not do that 
and end up drifting away from our mooring like it's talking about here. Oh, I need a break. No? We can have this attitude where, Lord, give me a break. Sometimes he does give us a break. But other times, he wants us to continue on, and we become slack. Turn to Joshua. Chapter 18. Joshua 18, verse 3. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, How long are ye slack to go to possess the land? This word I thought was interesting. I, I like to look at these wor- a lot of these words in the Bible. Now, the word slack is a very good translation. That's uh, Joshua 18, 3. This word in particular, I thought, is a good translation, but I thought was interesting. This is what, what it says here. A possible Aramaic phrase, meaning this, is akin to this particular phrase, and it means an easy life. <laughs> and there you have many, many people who their goal in life is to have an easy life. And that's portrayed on TV uh, and in many places. You can see it on some of the billboards, the easy life. So Joshua says, wait, how long are you going to want to have the easy life and not go up and possess the land? How long am I going to be slack and not move forward to possess the land God has for me? See, and that may or may not apply to you, but I believe at certain points in our Christian walk, it does apply because we become slack. And God has to come along and say, hey, well, let's get with the program. I have much, much land to be possessed yet for you. I have a lot for you to enter into. So let's continue on. Let's go back to Hebrews. So he says here that we should give the most or the more earnest heed uh, to the things which we have heard. Verse 2. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, And every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. Uh, Remember whenever God sent an angel to Sodom and Gomorrah? See, that was one of the ministries of uh, the Lord through angels in the Old Testament. And he comes to Lot and Lot's wife, and he says, you need to... Remove yourself from the city. For the word spoken by angels, it says, was steadfast. In other words, it was, it was solid. 
It was true. And every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. So who, who disobeyed the commandment of God through the angel to leave the city for, for Lot and his wife? Who disobeyed that? Lot's wife. See, and, and she received what he says here, a just recompense. In other words, she disobeyed the angel and she suffered the consequence of that. So now he's going to put this in perspective. Verse 3. How shall we, we, us, escape if we neglect so great a salvation which was at first spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? You go to the mission field. And there are some places that, that I was in, in when I went to Guatemala. And the knowledge of God and the understanding of the scriptures was very, very, very limited. What some of the pastors knew, I would have to say that there isn't a person here in this church today that, didn't, that doesn't know more and has not heard more teaching, as far as the Bible is concerned, than some of these pastors down there that we dealt with. No, not all of them, but some of them. Relatively new. They don't know anything about anything. We had to bring them in and teach them. We, in this country, have been blessed. The Word has been ministered for years and years and years. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? When I think of the investment that God made in my life, just my life personally, years ago when we didn't have a pastor, and Charles Hahn came from Butler, and he preached Sunday morning and Sunday evening in church for six months. That was an investment as far as I was concerned. At the time, I didn't know what he was talking about. But the investment of Pastor Luffy, for how many years was he at the church? 22? You know? 24. When I think about that, and I think of the word that has been ministered for my benefit. And I read this verse. It's kind of scary. How shall I um, escape if I neglect so great a salvation? The things that I have seen, the things that I have heard. I'm not going to escape the judgment of Christ if I let those things just drop, so it, to me, and, and as, as Pastor Jim has said, you know, when you're younger, you're tempted with certain things, and they're a real temptation. But later on down the road, the temptation is quite different. To remain where God has you and to continue to walk with Him and walk in his will, in his word, sometimes uh, is not real easy. 
But when I was reading this verse, the Lord was just pounding this in. How, sh how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How much have, have you in this church heard of the word of God over the last 10, 15, 20 years? Some of you. See, the Lord Jesus, he sees that, he knows that. And he looks at your life and he has seen the word that's been ministered to you. Now, what have you done with it? Have you allowed that to work? Have you grown in him? Are you walking with him? Are you walking on along the path that he's called you to? Or have you just let it slip? Like it says in verse 1. In verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto, unto us by them that heard it, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders, and diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to His will. So, once again, all the things that He says here, He brings it down to where we live. Where we are as Christians. Are we or are we not going to neglect the great salvation that He has given us? Have we, of course, received Christ? Yes, we have. But you know, that's not the end of it. That's the very beginning. The great salvation that he has wrought for us continues on. And, and, and of course, you and I have a part to play in it. Christ provided through his blood that which brings us to the Father. But now we can decide whether we are going to walk in his way and his will for us or we're not. So every Christian that has ever come to Jesus Christ across the world for all time, decides whether they are going to neglect this salvation or not by the decisions that they make. So I can say this and that and the other thing about, you know, the Lord. I can say a lot about the Bible. But... My life is the toll of the tape, so to speak. How am I living as a Christian? You know, how am I uh, treating people? Uh, all, these, all these other things that come to play. And I, if I come up here and I read these scriptures, and I think, well, that's, that's that, I'm done. I'm not done. When I leave today, and I go home, and I go to work, See, all that comes into play on whether I will uh, neglect or not neglect. So that we as believers have quite a responsibility. Jesus Christ, you know, God sent Christ to die. Now, we, mankind, has to do something with that, either re receive him or, or reject him. Now, now we have received him. Now the, 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 big, the, uh, the, uh, the journey, so to speak, has begun. And all that God has for us, we can hopefully take 
some of that <laughs> and have that made real in a part of our lives. Now, we'll, we'll continue with this next week, uh, I think, in Chapter 2, because there's a verse here I didn't get to I want, I want to look at. Thank you.